The nation is waiting with bated breath to discover which Hollywood nitwit is going to endorse which socialist lowlife. All across America, voters are asking if Tom Hanks supports Joe Biden and Scarlett Johansson supports Elizabeth Warren, will we vote for Donald Trump because of Hanks or because of Johansson? Reports are spreading that large numbers of good-looking genetic jackpots who pretend to be other people by convincingly reading lines off a page are not certain who to vote for, which leaves many Americans asking some serious questions like, what's for dinner? And where in tarnation did I leave my glasses? And that popular favorite, while you're up, would you mind getting me a beer? Which entertainer endorses whom makes a big difference, of course, to what sort of rallies candidates can hold. For example, a dispute between rappers Favor Flav and Chuck D over whether to support Bernie or Biden has left many voters in suspense over which of the two blithering old white men will be able to dance around ridiculously to the most soul-deadening and repetitive music with the most illiterate lyrics. Whereas a divide between Dick Van Dyke and Celia Ward has left many voters wondering who are Dick Van Dyke and Celia Ward. In the past, candidates have valued the endorsement of movie stars because the movie stars gave them money, which the candidates valued because it was money. But because socialists like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have to pretend not to like money until they have power and can acquire huge amounts of money while everyone else descends into poverty, they have instead valued movie stars for their celebrity presence. After all, nothing says socialism like being supported on stage by a grinning gazillionaire who hasn't worked an eight-hour day since he was a rent boy on Sunset Boulevard. Thus, the Democrat... <laughs> Thus, the de Democrat nomination hangs in the balance until some handsome clown endorses some decrepit tyrant, and no one cares. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. Well, if there's been one life lesson you could take away from the news after these last few weeks, it would be this. Nobody knows anything, and yet they keep talking as if they do. When the coronavirus began to spread, the stock market plummeted as if bubonic plague had hit a medieval village instead of a bad flu beginning its spread in a highly industrialized modern civilization with great health care. After a while, when people saw the stocks were going cheap, they gobbled them up as if nothing had happened because nothing had happened which proves all these big investors and advisors knew nothing about anything the entire time and were just running around like chickens with their heads cut off and talking as if they did know. Later, they'll explain to you why they got it right when they didn't. Then there's the Democrat primary. Remember, remember when Bernie Sanders won three minor primary states and everyone declared it was over? And now Super Tuesday has happened and everyone is saying something else because no one knows anything, but they just keep talking as if they do. Of course, all the time this was going on, you were listening to this show, and I was telling you not to listen to all the people talking, that we don't know what will happen with the virus yet, and the election could change, and so on, because I do know something, which is that no one knows anything. And once you know that, it becomes a lot more relaxing to follow the news. One of my favorite lines in the Bible is in the book of Psalms, where God speaks and says, Be still, and know that I am God. Once you master that trick, you begin to understand that there are many, many things you don't have to have an opinion about. For instance, when is the end of days? Who will be saved and who will be damned? What is the right way for other people to have sex? Or the right way for other people to live their lives? Who's going to win the Democrat primary? 
and who's going to win the next election. You can save a lot of time by not reading any news story that contains words like could or might or may or experts say, and just read about things that have actually happened and think about what those things mean. If you want to enjoy politics, if you want to enjoy the unfolding of history, if you want to enjoy your own life, simply remember, no one knows anything, but they will keep talking as if they do. Then be still and know that God is God. Speaking of God, while I'm speaking of God, you know, I, I have, I hope you have, religious practices that I go through every day. I pray for quite a long period of time, and usually in the morning, I read the gospel, not the gospel, I read the Bible uh, every day. And I also have periods of meditation and periods of devotion, devotional reading and things like this. And of course, there's an app for that. So they told me that they wanted me to do uh, an app, an ad for this app. And I said, well, let me try this because I don't want to sell anybody a spiritual practice that's not that's no good. So they sent me the Abide app. And it's great. It is absolutely great. You can start your day in spirit and peace listening to meditations on Jesus Christ and listening to meditations on the Bible. And it gives you a habit that you can have. You can go into it. It's the number one Christian meditation app. You go into it. You can pick what kind of meditations you want, something to relax you, something to deal with your anxieties, a simple devotional. That's what I was using, something that will help you sleep. There's no point in my using that. But for a limited time, our listeners will get 25%, 25% off a premium subscription when you visit abide.co slash Clavin. Abide's meditations start at two minutes long. They're easy to fit in your schedule and feature topics like overcoming anxiety, managing stress, addiction, and recovery, finding forgiveness, and more. Get started now with 25% off a premium subscription by downloading the Abide app at abide.co slash Clavin. You'll get additional stories and meditations, premium music, soothing sounds, and more. Support this show and get 25% off by going to abide.co slash Clavin. That's A-B-I-D-E dot C-O slash Clavin to download the Abide app and get 25% off your premium subscription. Everybody knows how to spell Abide. How do you spell Clavin? And now that you know that, how to spell Clavin, you can go and get the second uh, book in the trilogy of Another Kingdom called The Nightmare Feast. This is this continued story. Some people like this one the best. Most people, I think, like the third one the best, but I think each one gets better. If you read Another Kingdom or listen to Another Kingdom, you will love The Nightmare Feast. It is a fast-moving, kind of scary story that continues the quest of Austin Lively to find out how on earth he left his drab life as a failed screenwriter and walked into a mystery world where he is the hero. Very exciting book. I'm sure you'll love it. The Nightmare Feast, go get it on Amazon. All you have to know is how to spell Clavin. All right, so big Super Tuesday for Joe Biden. Bloomberg is out. Bloomberg has endorsed Biden and left the race. He could not buy. Uh, Somebody said he's paid mourners or or weeping for him. I think that was the Babylon Bee. Here's Joe Biden's cut eight. Cut eight. Here's Joe Biden celebrating his victory. For those those who've been knocked down, counted out, left behind, this is your campaign. Just a few days ago, the press and the pundits had declared the campaign dead. And then came South Carolina, and they had something to say about it. And we're told, well, when you got to Super Tuesday, it'd be over. Well, it may be over for the other guy. 
You're a line dog faced pony soldier. <laughs> I love the, the shouting. He can barely get the words out. So Sanders won Colorado, probably California. I don't think they've declared that yet. Utah and Vermont. Biden won the rest, except for American Samoa, which Bloomberg bought. I think it cost him $100 million. Of, he, got, he almost spent like $100 million a delegate, Bloomberg, which really tells you a lot. Uh, Warren lost her own state of Massachusetts, but she's not playing that game. She may leave too, but she was playing. she's playing the delegate game. If she can pick up enough delegates here and there, she feels she can walk into the convention and be a powerhouse in a brokered convention. You can say a lot of things about this, but the one thing you can't say is that Biden came back or that Biden won or that well done, Joe. Okay, this had really nothing to do with Joe Biden. This was a victory that was manufactured by the Democrat establishment who arranged for all these uh, people to drop out in time and to endorse Joe Biden, Buttigieg and uh, Klobuchar. They endorsed Joe Biden. Uh, It was it was. uh, What's his name? Clyburn in South Carolina, who garnered the African-American vote. But it's also the people, right? If the Democrat uh, establishment can do anything they want, but if the people don't follow suit, it's not going to matter. So it wasn't cheating. It wasn't stealing anything. It was just a very powerful, very organized Democrat machine saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I, we don't think Bernie Sanders can win. Now it's a fist fight. Now it is the, between the two of them. They, they both are going to come out of this. As I told you yesterday before the voting started, they're both going to come out of this pretty even. I thought Biden would be behind, but it looks like he may be a little bit ahead, but it doesn't matter. No, neither one of them is leaving. So we should take a close look at what happened. And then I want to step back and take a larger look at what it all means, what, what's happening in our politics. All right. So this starts again, as I said, with House Majority Whip South Carolina Congressman Jim Clyburn. He called on the African-Americans to turn out, but also the machine got together. uh, Following that, the machine got together and said, we want to push Biden forward with his win from South Carolina. If you take a look at James Carville, uh, this is, uh, yeah, James Carville, you can get a feeling for what the establishment is thinking right now. He looks like, you know, he the cat that ate the canary. I want to offer a hand gesture to Congressman Clyburn. There you go. (laughs) That guy literally saved the Democratic Party. (laughs) And and I'm a great admirer of his, and it was just wonderful hearing from him tonight. And what he talks about, the the use of emotion in politics. I got my students here, and I I, I really try to teach that. So so he's a happy camper. He's a happy camper. And again, you know, Part of part of socialism is being a victim. Part of socialism is complaining. You know, the uh, there was a wonderful, wonderful cartoon during the Obama administration of Democrats stuck on a, a escalator that had stopped moving and Republicans just walking up the escalator, <laughs> escalator. But the Democrats are waiting on the frozen escalator for somebody to help them. When is government going to help help the help us. So the socialists are going to com- be complaining that, oh, the establishment is against us and we're the underdog and the establishment did this and the establishment did that. But that's politics. This is just pure politics. Before, when Bernie was running against Hillary, it was set up first. First, do you remember that the Democrats were in debt and Hillary came in and helped them out and got a lot of power to make the rules in the first place? So she made rules that helped her. Secondly, the the establishment arranged before the voting even began for all the endorsements to be in place, for there to be no real competitor to Hillary Clinton. Nope. You know, one of the things Bernie would not have done as well as he did, probably if there had been as many people in the race last time as there are this time, but it was all Hillary. Everybody was just staying out of the way. So all of that was kind of arranged. He had, Bernie had a perfectly uh, good right to complain that this was too much 
power being put behind one candidate. They should have let the people decide. This time, Bernie rewrote the rules. The people have decided, but the establishment still hates him because they think he's going to lose. So he's got that. Um, he's got the time. He, he's got the uh, right. He had the right before to complain, but this time, this is just pure politics. So he's saying he's not going to leave. Of course, he's not going to leave. And he's saying he'll win. This is cut number 11. When we began this race for the presidency, everybody said it couldn't be done. But tonight, I tell you with absolute confidence, we are going to win the Democratic nomination. And we are going to defeat the most dangerous president in the history of this country. So, you know, that's that's the way he should play it. He's still in this. He's going to have a hard time. You know, when they talk about a brokered convention, that's different than a contested convention. Well, what they're probably going to have going into Milwaukee is a contested convention. They're probably going to nobody's going to walk in with the number of delegates they need to win it, to clinch it. But that means they just have another vote. And once they have a second vote, that's when the superdelegates come in. The superdelegates tend to be toward the establishment. That's when I think Bernie will start to have his complaint. That's when the Bernie bros are going to get upset. And if you want to see a Bernie bro getting upset, take a look at uh, Cenk Uyghur. Is that how you pronounce his name? Uyghur, his last name? Uh, I think so. Cenk Uyghur. He was uh, trying to run in California and for Congress. And Bernie endorsed him and then pulled his endorsement when all the stuff that Cenk says about women and about Jews came out. Uh, They didn't want any part of that. He was humiliated. He's furious. But listen to him talking about the Biden comeback. Biden is not going to beat Trump. Biden is either near senile or actually senile. Watch any of the tapes. And Biden lies nonstop. He's going to get caught. He's okay, the media is covering for him, but they're not gonna be able to cover when the Republicans come for him. And when Trump comes for him, he's not gonna beat Trump. The establishment candidate is less likely to beat Trump anyway. We just had 2016, the establishment candidate lost to a doofus like Trump. And now here we go, an establishment candidate that is far worse with mental his mental faculties under question. His record worse than Hillary Clinton's. He lies a thousand times more than Hillary Clinton did, right? And you're gonna run that guy against Trump and we're gonna lose to Trump again and maybe lose our democracy? Hell no, hell no, no, Bernie Sanders is gonna win this race. And I'm telling you right now, and it's not just, hey, we let's go fight, it's also a prediction. Biden is not capable of winning this and I'm, we're not doing any brokered convention where they give it to someone who didn't get less votes. Not going to happen, Bernie Sanders is gonna be the nominee. I'm telling you right now. I think of communism when I think of Bernie. Cenk <laughs> Uyghur, not your, oh, yours, Cenk Uyghur. Uh, you know, they, again, remember, nobody knows anything but they're talking as if they do. So he's talking what he wants to have happen. Last night we were talking on the Daily Wire backstage and I can't remember if it was Ben or Jeremy, they were saying that uh, Trump can't win the um, he can't win the uh, the electoral victory. He can, he can win the electoral victory, but not the popular vote. If Biden is the opposition, they don't know that either. Nobody knows anything that can happen. And you got to just keep your eyes open and see what's going on. Because look, it, this is a volatile situation. The country is volatile. Trump is a volatile candidate. Bernie is a volatile candidate. Schenck is right about one thing. Joe Biden is deteriorating. He's deteriorating in front of our eyes. It is not something they're going to be able to hide forever. 
you know, once it's a two-person race, that's gonna, he's going to have to stand on a stage with him. He will stand on a stage with him. And he is falling. Joe Biden is falling apart. Not as badly as I am right now, but I was up all night. But Joe Biden is unraveling and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be very obvious to a lot of people. So, you know, so Cenk has, Cenk has a point. He has a point, and I think the Bernie bros have a point. And the question is whether the Bernie bros will show up if Biden, as now looks more likely, gets the nomination. You know, Donna Brazil, a really interesting exchange between Ronna McDaniel, who's the chair of the GOP, uh, yeah, the chair of the uh, GOP, and Donna Brazil, who used to be the chair of the DNC, when Ronna McDaniel was talking about the fact that this was an establishment construction. This Biden comeback was an establishment construction. Depend on how big the lead that Sanders takes out of California is if he picks up a, a huge proportion of delegates. But I don't see anybody getting out soon. And it's leading towards potentially a broker convention, which will uh, be rigged against Bernie if those superdelegates have their way on that second vote. To that, you say what, Donna? First of all, I, I want to talk to my Republicans. First of all, stay the hell out of our race. Stay the hell out of our race. I get sick and tired, Ed. Uh, and Sandra, of listening to Republicans tell me and the Democrats about our process. First of all, they don't have a process. They're canceling primaries. They have winner-take-all. They don't have the kind of democracy that we see on the Democratic side. And for people to use Russian talking points to sow division among Americans, that is stupid. So, Rana, go to hell. This oh, is wow. not about... No, go to hell. I'm tired of it, Ed. <laughs> it was all... Bullshit. <laughs> Henry in the background. Oh, whoa, whoa. She apologized this morning. She apologized. She said something like, I'm a hot talker. I don't know what she said. She's a bad commentator, by the way, Donna Brazil. They brought her onto Fox. She's now a Fox contributor. And obviously, it's, there's nothing wrong with having partisans as contributors. You want to hear the opinions of both sides. A lot of people complain whenever they hear a left wing opinion on Fox. But I want to hear uh, left wing opinions. I want to hear right wing opinions. But she is just too out of control. She's too much. She's too manipulative. She's trying to manipulate the audience, which I just think is bad commentary. And I thought that that was a real mistake. But once again, it is this expression. She was caught out. You know, Donna Brazil is the person who exposed the rigged primaries last time. And then she backed off and said, oh, no, it wasn't rigged. It wasn't, you know, it was rigged last time. And now she's hypersensitive to the accusation that this is going to put up job. The one thing that was wrong that uh, the, that Rana was saying uh, was Ron McDaniel from the GOP was saying was that's not a brokered convention. If the superdelegates vote, that's not a brokered convention. A brokered convention is when the poobahs of the party get into the proverbial smoke-filled room and decide who is going to win. That is a different thing than the second vote when these superdelegates are set free. Those are rules that now uh, Bernie helped set. The rule That rule is something that Bernie helped set. So he really has no complaint. And you didn't hear him really pulling the I've been I've been it's been rigged routine this time. So this is now a two person fight. This is now Bernie and Biden. Warren, what you know, she's not she still says she's not pulling out. Jeremy was saying last night, the God King was saying last night that he feels that Warren is such a phony leftist that if she pulls out, her votes will not necessarily go to Bernie. They'll go to Biden. That's another one. I don't know. She's been playing a leftist. I don't think people are all that subtle. I think she's been playing a leftist on TV. I think some of her votes are definitely going to go to Bernie. It's just it's just hard to say. But really, until a dark horse enters the race, which may happen, this is a two person battle now, and it is going to be a big one. They are going to fight it 
to the finish. That is one thing we can almost guarantee. All right. It's time for me to do a fairway meat ad. And, and what I want you to do here is <laughs> they've been telling me that every time I do this ad, I say the word meat a lot. I want you to count how many times I say meat and then put it in the, the comment section. So let's see how if you can keep count of this. We wanted I wanted to get a machine that would count how many times I said meat, but we're going to use you. You count how many times I say meat in a fairway meat <laughs> ad, a fairway meat market ad. And the reason I want you to get the fairway meat is not because it is great meat for you. It's because if I can keep them as a sponsor, they will send great meat to me because they want me to sample it and say how great it is. So you have to get the fairway meat in order for me to get the fairway meat. So get the fairway meat. I mean, it is a family-owned grocery chain. It's been in business since 1938. Premium beef, all-natural pork. It's raised by family farmers and hand-cut by experienced team of fairway butchers from ribs to ribeyes, pork chops to beef tenderloin. Certified Duroc Heritage pork is crafted in small batches by Midwest family farms, making succulent pork like you have never tasted. Visit fairwaymeatmarket.com and select your favorite uh, meat products. This week, my listeners can get the Heartland po- package valued at 230 bucks for just $99.99 plus shipping when entering Claven at checkout. That's eight point. That's eight eight ounce all natural Duroc boneless pork chops, six eight ounce USDA choice ribeye steaks, one mouthwatering side dish, loaded potato bake, gourmet cheese corn or baked beans. That's more than 50% off the best meat in America, plus free shipping. And more important, if you get it and I keep the sponsor, they'll send more to me. That's fairwaymeatmarket.com, promo code Clavin, and look for the Heartland package. Again, that's fairwaymeatmarket.com, promo code Clavin, and look for the Heartland package. All right, how many times did I say meat? <laughs> there, there are no E's in And there are no E's in Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N for M-E-A-T. Oh, what is it? 12 times, 12 meats in the, <laughs> in the commercial. If you got that right, you still have to pay the $99.99 for the deal. All right, let's take a step back and take a look at the big picture of what's happening because this is the thing we were talking about on the Daily Wire backstage last night is, is something is happening in America. When you have a president like Donald Trump, when you have a powerful candidate like Bernie Sanders, the old rules are falling away. The old rules are falling away. And you listen, if you listen to Trump, Trump is trying to, he's playing politics too. He's tweeting things that he, he hopes will get him what he wants. He tweeted, the Democrat establishment came together and crushed Bernie Sanders again. Even the fact that Elizabeth Warren stayed in the race was devastating to Bernie and allowed Sleepy Joe to unthinkably win Massachusetts. It was a perfect storm with many good states remaining for Joe. So he's teasing Bernie. He's teasing the DNC. He's teasing Joe. Obviously, I think he would prefer to run against Bernie. I think he feels he would just kick Bernie down the street. But he, I, I don't think he's that frightened of Joe either. Biden, meanwhile, Biden is playing this big card, the decency card. Because Biden comes across as a guy everybody likes. Even uh, Senator Cruz last night was saying that he likes Biden personally. He's a hard guy to dislike. And of course, Trump is not a hard guy to dislike. Trump is rough. He's rough and tumble. He's a New Yorker. He talks tough. He's a guy that a lot of people dislike. So Biden is playing that card. This is cut seven. This all starts with a revival of decency and honor and character. Trump has, fl- has, has fanned the flames of hate and sought to divide us. He's insulted, demonized, and actually just just the way he talks about people. He has not a single sense of empathy. He doesn't have any compassion. 
No regard for the values that made this country who we are. Uh, this is somewhat unfair. I mean, Trump has been called worse than Hitler. He's been called racist again and again. They've spread that lie about him saying there were good people on both sides, which was just a lie. It's not what he said. He's talking about something else. They've called him anti-Semitic because he criticized George Soros. I mean, really, really, this is a guy with a Jewish family. Uh, you know, he's he's been one of Israel's best friends ever. Joe Biden said, if we were in high school, I would take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. So this whole idea that the Democrats are decent is, as I keep saying, an illusion created by the fact that the media will say all the mean things. Robert De Niro will get out and scream, F Trump, F Trump. They know that those things will get said by famous people in places where everyone will hear them so they can pretend to be a little bit more decent. Trump has to fight his own corner. On the other hand, it is also true, and you hear both Ben and me talking about this, and I'm just talking about this in terms of politics, in terms of good politics and bad politics. You know, um, the Jeff Sessions, former attorney general, right? He finished short of a majority in his attempt to become the Alabama uh, Senate candidate. So now he has to face a runoff. And Trump tweets, this is what happens to someone who loyally gets appointed attorney general of the United States and then doesn't have the wisdom or courage to stare down and end the phony Russia witch hunt, recuses himself on first day in office, and the Mueller scam begins. I mean, let it go. Trump never lets anything go. He takes everything personally. That's the kind of thing. It's that kind of thing. It's not when he goes after his enemies. It's not when he says Minnie Mike or Sleepy Joe or any of that stuff. That stuff is hilarious and it works and it's funny. It's, it's really good politics. It's good old-fashioned bare-knuckled American politics. But when you go after the good guys, Jeff Sessions is a good guy. I don't think he should have recused himself either, but let it go. He's a good ally. He could win. He could win in Alabama. He could give us another senator, and that gives Trump more power. Shut up. Sometimes the right answer is shut up. I know every time I say this, the, the Trumpies come after me and they say, oh, you're just saying that because you want Ben to like you. That's, that's what I live for. I live for Ben to like me. Everybody everybody knows that, especially, especially Ben. Ben knows that I'm just living for him to like me. But, but, that, but that's ridiculous. It's bad politics. It makes you look bad. It makes the people who like Jeff Sessions, like me, who think Jeff Sessions is an honest guy who may have made a mistake, like me, it makes me think like, hey, you know, that is ugly. Clint Eastwood, another guy who just said, you know, he's got to be a little bit more genteel. I'm going with Bloomberg because he's not genteel enough. All the name calling, it's bad politics. However, however, I think we do have to look at what is happening on the Republican side, because I think it is an amazingly positive thing that Trump has achieved through realism and success. A lot of right-wing intellectuals, and this is part of what an intellectual's job is, but a lot of right-wing thinkers have this vision of kind of going back to the 50s, of going back to an agrarian America where we can have small communities that govern themselves and we don't need the federal government. A lot of that stuff is not happening ever. It's just not. This is a new world. And so it, it, we need a new conservative vision. We need a new conservative idea. We need a new Republican idea. Based on the same old ideals, Trump is supplying that almost by accident. He's supplying it through his realism and his success. His realism was saying, I'm not going to take away your safety net. Reagan did the same thing. The safety net's a lot bigger now, but still, Trump said, I'm not going to mess with your social security. I'm not going to do the Paul Ryan thing and, and uh, reform the entitlements. Don't worry about that. I am going to cut back on the regulations the administrative state, which is a big, big problem. You know, when I started the show, I would talk about the administrative state and I would say, I know this is boring, but this is the problem. The administrative state 
is the problem. It's the reason when you wonder why sponsors get scared because six Twitter people shout at them. They're not scared of the six Twitter people. They're scared of the administrative state. They're scared if they look homophobic or Islamophobic or all the words that they make up on the left. Their sponsors are afraid, the businesses are afraid that the government, the administrative state, will regulate them to death, which they can easily do, which Obama did. Obama would overregulate his opponents and underregulate his friends and pass deals to his friends. Obama did it all the time. Trump has dialed back the administrative state, which is a great, great thing. That's a realistic thing to do. He hasn't destroyed it. I wish he would. I wish he would get rid of the Department of Energy, the Department of Education. I wish all these departments would go away. And hopefully some of his Supreme Court appointments like Kavanaugh, who hates the administrative state, knows it's unconstitutional. Maybe they will dial back the power of the administrative state through their decisions. So Trump, with realism has achieved success. We've had this great economy. Suddenly people have jobs. Suddenly people aren't committing suicide, which is huge. The suicide rate went down for the first time in three years, meaning that the life expectancy goes up. That is a Trump triumph. And because of that, because of that, he has allowed a space, created a space of success, a space of peace in which the people can start to form a new vision because that's what we're looking for. We're heading into a world that's going to look like Marvel comics. You know, we're heading into a world where people are going to have chips inserted in their brains that make them smarter. We're heading into a world right now you can't change your sex, but one day you may be able to change your sex. You can take a pill and have an abortion. You can take a pill and not get pregnant. That changes the sexual game right there. All of these things have either come or are coming. We're going to need new visions, but those visions are not going to come from Barack Obama, that because Barack Obama doesn't know anything. They're not going to come from the people at the top. They're going to come from a consensus of people, including thinkers, including you know the leaders, but also including the people who invent things. That's the conservative way. So we shouldn't say, you know, oh, it's, a, it's too bad that Trump doesn't have a vision. He's allowing other people to bring their vision. His conservative party is not the old conservative party. They are cheering for the successes of black people. They are cheering the appointment of gay people. This is a different, more liberal-minded, not leftist, but more liberal-minded conservative party that Trump has allowed to come into being because he is of his realism and because of his success. And this is a beautiful thing if, if we have leaders who can understand it and echo it back. We need people who can tell the story. And this is a, a real problem. When people are worried about health care, you can't just say to them, no government health care. No, no, no government health I'm against government health You've got to tell them how their health care is going to work in a free market society. You've got to show them what that looks like. It's got to be a vision. Without vision, the people perish. And Trump has not supplied that vision, but he has created, because the world is upside down, but the people will supply that vision and leaders have to lead where the people will follow. All right, we'll talk more about this as the days go on, but we have the mailbag coming up right after we talk about... (laughs) That is the way you will sound after all your problems are solved in the mailbag. But first, you know, I want you to take a look at me. Look at me. I know you're thinking, my God, he's beautiful. But just think how much better I would look with hair. You know, <laughs> two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness. I just uh, experienced nuclear baldness, but some you will experience some form of male pattern baldness most of by the time you were 35. The good news is that with today's advancements in science, Keeps offers proven treatments that can combat the symptoms of hair loss and help you keep the hair you have at half the cost of your local pharmacy. Prevention is key. 
Keeps treatments really work. They're up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. Act fast. Many men even experience hair regrowth with Keeps treatments. You only know you loved what you had when it's gone. (laughs) Don't let your mind run away with what ifs and if onlys. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash daily wire to get your limited time offer of hair loss treatment. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash daily wire. All one word. Don't miss your hair. Keep your hair. It's hair today. It's gone tomorrow. Super Tuesday has come and gone and the Democrats might be ready to nominate a socialist. They are all somewhat socialist, but the most obvious socialist is Bernie Sanders. We know that all of you aren't millionaires and billionaires. So right now, we are offering you 25. I happen to believe you will get 25% off at all Daily Wire membership plans using coupon code NEVERSOCIALIST. Those savings will come in handy for you just in case Bernie is elected and completely destroys the economy. This deal will not last forever, so be sure to act now before it's too late. Daily Wire members get an ad-free website experience, access to all our live broadcasts and show library, including The Andrew Clavin Show, the full three hours of The Ben Shapiro Show, access to the mailbag, and now exclusive election insight op-eds from Ben. Along with all of this, of course, you get the one and only Leftist Tears Tumblr. And if you haven't already, you can download the Daily Wire app, which is terrific, and get all of our great content on the go. Again, that's 25% off on Daily Wire memberships for all plans using coupon code NEVERSOCIALIST. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. This deal does not last forever, so act now before it's too late at dailywire.com slash subscribe. You can also, with a subscription, be in the mailbag, which is coming right up. Mailbag. (laughs) This is just getting ugly. It's just getting ugly. All right. The mailbag uh, from Paul. Mighty Clavin, master of A's and destroyer of E's. I beseech your infinite wisdom in the pursuit of greater knowledge and understanding. Some coworkers and I were discussing censorship this week and came to an impasse that I would like your opinion on. In the case of books like Lolita, The Turner Diaries, and more distantly, The Communist Manifesto, One of my peers said they believe that publishers should decline to publish material that incites people to violence or is inherently evil, while the other said censorship was wrong in all cases. I'm torn because I do not trust the government or anyone else to determine what information should be censored and what information should not be censored. I also feel that offering people an opportunity to gaze into the abyss allows the opportunity for the abyss to in turn gaze back into them. What is your opinion on this? All right. Well, first, we have to distinguish between censorship and choice and We also have to distinguish between Lolita and Books of Evil. Lolita is a great novel. Lolita is a great novel about a child molester. That is different than uh, recommending child molestation. I had a very good friend who was an excellent, excellent writer who loved Lolita with a passion, got a phone call from a very big filmmaker asking him to write the script to Lolita, and he said no, because once you put it on screen, it's child pornography. I don't want to support child pornography, but as literature, it's great literature. That was a very... uh, a deeply honest thing to do. He was a man of integrity. I always admired him for doing that. Turned down a lot of money. But that's the difference between a novel, which is really about language and about experience and about sexuality, uh, and something that is recommending. Just wanted to put that out there. The second thing is, it is not censorship for a publishing house to say, we don't want to publish this. It's not our material. We don't like it. We're Christians. We're capitalists or whatever. We don't want to publish Marx. But somebody is going to publish it, and the government should have no right to stop them. No right. Zero right to stop them. You should be able, adults, adults should be able to get any book they want, any idea they want. I disagree with Amazon 
when Amazon takes has taken off some hate stuff off their site, I think Amazon is one of those sites that should let you get anything. Still, it's a business, but those things are available and they should be available. And I think people, if they want to read them, should read them. As you say, I, I don't. I just think you glamorize ideas by silencing them. They have a lot more problem with fascism and with socialism in Europe, where they do censor some things, than we have here, where we let everybody speak. It's dangerous. It's scary. It's scary to listen to people spew hate. But I always think we can we can uh, argue against them. I think good ideas will beat bad ideas if the bad ideas aren't glamorized by being silenced. And none of the people who say, you know, like the America first or say nobody stood up for us or uh, Alex Jones says nobody stood up for me when I was censored. I stood up for them. I think they should all be allowed to have their say. And I really dislike it when platforms like Twitter and YouTube, take them down. They shouldn't take them down. And I do stand up for them, even though I think Jones is a loon. All right. Uh, so anyway, that's so it's different, right? Publishers are allowed to say, oh, we don't want to publish this. It's not our stuff. But the government should not be allowed to censor it. Uh, from Ali. My question for you, after absorbing as much about conservatism as possible, is why is Christianity part of a political set of ideas and values? I understand that Western civilization is founded on Judeo-Christian culture and that we can correlate values from them with strong positive values and conservatism. However, whenever you start to talk about religion, you lose me, and it seems that your factual opinions, which are always astute and extremely well-articulated, devolve into mumbo-jumbo when you use religion and God to explain or justify your point. I have a great deal of trouble reconciling the highly fact-driven, truth-seeking missile that is the Daily Wire with the often religious context of your commentaries. I was wondering if you could shed some light, I'm reading all this because I think it's interesting, shed some light on what I see to be a confusing contradiction especially in light of current conversations questioning the place of religion in, the, in con, the conservative movement. As a lifelong atheist, I've gained a new perspective on Christianity from your show, but still find it to be a cop-out when religion is used to explain why things are the way they are. For example, on your show, you explained away a point by simply saying there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy. All right, that's from Hamlet. I was quoting Hamlet. And usually I use that quote to say it is something that can't be understood or I don't understand, That not, not to say that I know what the answer is, simply saying that uh, reason does not explain everything. Reason does not explain everything. There's plenty of things that reason doesn't explain. Let me put forward my point. I think you're misreading it a little bit. Everything about our values is Christian. Even socialism is a Christian movement. It's trying to fulfill Christian goals. My argument with it is it's doing it the wrong way because it's putting aside one of the most important Christian goals, which is freedom. Christ freed us for freedom. So that's one of the reasons I don't like socialism, because I think it's slavery. However, uh, there's a wonderful book called Dominion by Tom Holland, which explains that almost all of our ideas come from Christianity. I, I made the point that when we were arguing about gay marriage, both sides were arguing a Christian point of view. One side was arguing the shall not, which is part of Christianity, and the other side was arguing the judge not, which is also part of Christianity. As Holland points out, even the idea of homosexuality as a separate thing is a Christian idea. Before that, it was just the powerful people were allowed to sleep with whoever they wanted. You know, Julius Caesar was said to be every man, every woman's husband and every man's wife. That's what they said of Julius Caesar. If you were powerful, you just slept with somebody if he was there or she was there. So all of these ideas come from Christianity. My point about Christianity is that when I follow the moral universe, I find myself coming back to the feet of the cross. So that is, I start with what I know to be morally true in my life. And if you want to know more about this, you can read my memoir, The Great Good Thing. A secular Jew comes to faith in Christ. I explain the whole journey, bit by bit, point by point, The Great Good Thing. 
my point was that as I understood what I thought morality to be, I found myself coming back to God because I don't believe there can be morality without God. Nietzsche, who you quote, or somebody, no, the last guy quoted, looking into the abyss to have the abyss stare back at you, that's from Nietzsche. Nietzsche pointed out that if God is dead, there is no absolute morality. The Marquis de Sade said the same thing. Virtually every thinker has said that. If there's no God, there is no absolute morality. I don't believe that. I do not believe that if I landed on a planet where everybody believed that killing innocent children was great, like this planet, that would be right. It doesn't become right because everybody believes it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if everyone believes it. It's simply incorrect. It's simply wrong. In order for that to be true, and virtually everybody seriously thinks that's true when you question them enough, they say they don't believe it. If they're college students especially, they say they don't believe it, but they all believe it. Everybody believes that there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. In order for that to be true, there has to be a God. Once you believe in God, then you start to search out his his nature. And I searched out his nature and found that it was described and embodied by Jesus Christ. That was my journey. All right. Once you have done that, you can start reasoning back from what Christ wants. Then you can start reasoning back to why Christ explains things. But I don't try to sell anybody who doesn't believe in God on ideas that you can only get to through God. I simply point out to conservatives that their ideas, which do depend on an objective morality, depend on there being a God. Now, the other day, I heard Douglas Murray, a wonderful, wonderful writer, and I heard him interviewed, and he said, I'm a Christian atheist. Because Douglas Murray has realized that the left, he's a gay guy, but he has realized that the leftist identity politics makes no sense. And so he said, where are the principles that I believe in? And he found them in Christianity, but he doesn't believe in Christ. So he says, I'm a Christian atheist. I believe in the values, but not the source of the values. That makes no sense to me. If you want to talk about gibberish, that's gibberish to me. That is like looking out your window and you see snow and there are footsteps in the snow, but you won't admit that anybody walked there. If there are footsteps in the snow, somebody walked there. If there's objective morality, there is a God. If, you, if your objective morality is Christian, it's very likely that the God is Christ. That's my reasoning. So I'm not saying to you, do this because Jesus said so. I'm saying to you that I have already reasoned to the point where I believe in this And once you get to that point, and maybe, maybe if you haven't done that, maybe you're not following your reason to its logical conclusion. That is, that's the argument that I'm making. And then once you believe, then you can make the argument going back the other way that here are some things you should do because Jesus said so. That's a different argument altogether. All right. Um, From... Uh, Matthew, dear all-knowing Claven the scribe, a few months ago I wrote to you about wanting to quit my nine-to-five job uh, to pursue writing. While I'm working full-time, uh, I obviously don't have a stable income yet. I have begun practicing writing for countless hours and taking courses to better myself. Recently, I told my girlfriend that I'm unhappy with my job and want to quit and become a writer, and she says she does not want to struggle, uh, and, I, and I won't get anywhere blogging. I told her that I don't care about the money. I just want to do something that I enjoy for the rest of my life. I feel like I need her support to pursue this, but it doesn't seem to me that she is on board. And I just can't seem to reconcile our relationship with this. I'm almost 29. If I don't change soon, I'll be trapped. My question is, am I being unrealistic and unreasonable or is she being unsupportive or is it somewhere in between? If pursuing writing really is a dead end, what would your best advice for me be? What is your advice for confronting her? All right. You're not going to change her mind. First, you have to deal with your problem. Your problem is, are you a writer? Listen, <laughs> there are more major league, professional major league baseballs work, baseball players working right now than there are people like me who have made my living writing. 
made their living writing, okay? There are more professional baseball players. It is a very hard thing to do. Very few people make their living writing uh, for any period of time, especially writing the kinds of things they want to. So you have to ask yourself, are you that guy? One way to find out is do you read? And do you read the things that you write? Because if you don't read, then you just want to be a writer. You don't actually want to write. You know, you want to, if you, if you want to be a writer, you want to contribute to the things you read. She is not going to change her mind. So then you have to decide what are you going to do? Are you going to make that move? Personally, I, I threw my whole life into becoming a writer because it was all I wanted to be. I didn't do the things that I could have done, like go to law school and all that stuff. I was nuts. I was nuts. I happened to succeed because I'm just that good. Okay. If you think you're just that good, go ahead. If not, set up a situation where you can do your work, but also write. And don't expect your girlfriend to change her mind. She is not going to do it. She's not that girl. All right. Uh, from Sean. Uh, hey, Drew, I refer to you by your surname. If only I knew how to spell it. Uh, I am trying to get my hands on a copy of Nightmare Feast. Easy to do. Go on Amazon.com. Type in Nightmare Feast. There it is. I love the podcast and I own the first book. I have the audio book that I purchased on iTunes. The reason I mention this is I'm legally blind. Will the book be released in either audio or electronic text on iTunes? The audio company, they've bought Oh, I have a contract to, for all of the audiobooks, and Knowles is going to do them. They made a screw up on the schedule. So even though the book is now available, the audiobook is not yet available. I talked to Knowles yesterday. I think he's going to record it next week, and it should be out shortly after that. So, yes, there will be an audiobook. Uh, Knowles will do it, and uh, that should be coming out shortly. But right now, only the book itself is available. That answers your question. I got to stop there. We'll be back tomorrow. For the Thursday edition of The Andrew Clavin Show, I'm Andrew Clavin. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review. And also tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jessua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm-hmm.